Welcome to Four Generations to Come, a podcast by Generations Church. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. Whether you are re-listening to a Sunday teaching or listening to the playback because you weren't able to join us live during our Sunday gathering, we're excited to connect with you. We hope to see you this summer at our midweek meetups across the Northwest. You can also check out the playlist for the Songs We Sing series on our website or social media. Behind every song is a story, a personal story or the story of Scripture. What we sing shapes us. Whether it's the kid's song in your head that you can't seem to shake, or the tune to which you cling when difficulty arises. The songs we sing during our gatherings remind us of who God is and what He has done, as well as who we are in Him. In our summer series, we take a look at the meaning behind the music to help us live our liturgy, so that our faith is an everyday faith. The songs we sing shape us. May they help us become more like Jesus. Enjoy today's teaching. Uh, so we're back today with um, our next series here uh, focused on the songs um, we sing. Um, today we're focusing on Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. Um, good, good father. Need to talk to whoever wrote my notes for me here. Um, anyways, that being said, uh, I'm going to be reading from Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Unless there's a different verse. Okay. They're, you know what? They're all in the Bible. They're all great. Yeah. Kyle will make it work somehow. I'll read any verse. He can preach on it. Okay, all right, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then God has made you an heir. The concept of raising a child comes to us from the rather intense tradition related in Roman culture. Children were presented before the head of the household. And if the father wanted the child, he would lift the baby up. Kind of like Simba style. In his arms and hold him or her skyward. Literally raising the child. And this means the baby was welcomed in the home. If they didn't want the child, rather than raise it, the child would sit on the ground and the father would leave and walk away. Throughout history, the importance of men being involved 
in the literal raising of children has a profound effect in the well-being of a child. Children without fathers are four times more likely to live in poverty, are more likely to suffer emotional and behavioral problems, have higher levels of aggression behavior than children born into married homes, have two times the risk of infant mortality, are more likely to go to prison. Only one in five prison inmates grew up with their father present. They're twice as likely to be involved in early sexual activity. And if you want a good person to look up on the state of what it means to have men involved in the lives of children in healthy ways, specifically in the realm of fatherhood and what it means in cultural formation, there's a guy by the name of Anthony Bradley, PhD. He is your person. He's a great follow on Twitter for you Twitter people. But while those statistics aren't necessarily predictive, I do believe they are indicative of how the types of fathers we have, or lack thereof, shapes us as individuals and shapes our culture as a whole. Because before we were adults, for those adults here, we were first kids. John Tyson, in his book, Intentional Father, describes five types of fathers. Some of these may resonate with you because you see your father in one of these. Some of you men who are fathers may recognize and go, yeah, that's me. Regardless, I think there's an opportunity here to listen and learn what the Spirit and the Scriptures speak to us. But let me share these five. The first is the irresponsible father. One who has literally zero involvement with his kids. Someone who completely bails on them to go to the point that they don't even know who he is. This father takes no responsibility, provides no child support, and contributes no meaningful support in the lives of his children. The irresponsible father. Then there's the ignorant father. This type of father has no idea what he's doing and is continually wreaks havoc in the lives of his children without even realizing it. He doesn't know anything about being a father. And he doesn't try to learn or improve. Key there. Because of this, he ends up projecting his own brokenness into the lives of his children. Then there's the inconsistent father. Torn by personal ambition. He has the capability of doing better at this fathering thing. But instead he prioritizes his own job, his own career, his own hobbies. And these binges of selfishness are often followed by guilt and feeble attempts to fix everything. But there's no stable sense of security or identity passed down. Number four, there's the involved father. This type of dad shows up at sporting events and takes the time to put porn filters on his kids' devices. He gets a lot of things right. He's a very intentional, so to speak, very purposeful, very involved. But because of the business of life and the failure to ask the right questions, he never seeks to actually understand specifically who his children are and why God gave them to him. 
He projects some of his self on them and some of his aspirations, but he is still involved and present. This is a noble dad, but one haunted by the sense that there is something more. That while he is involved and present, there might be still another layer to this whole parenting thing. Lastly, the fifth type of father, the intentional father. This father discovers who his children are and helps them each reach their redemptive potential. Seeing who they are, their personalities, their gifts, their hopes and dreams, but also understands their fears and failures, their mistakes. And he understands his kids in such a way that God has given them their own hopes and dreams and will experience fears and failures. And in the midst of that, forms them into young persons who fulfill their God-given purpose. Parenting is an overflow of his first calling to be a child of God, thus leaving a multi-generational blessing in the lives of of his children. Now these father statuses aren't stagnant. Maybe you heard one and you are a dad in the room and you recognize, yeah, I was there once. Or maybe you feel a conviction of you are in a spot there now. That doesn't mean you have to stay there. Maybe you are a loved one or a friend or a family member of a father and you say, yeah, I, I think the, the dad that I know might be that type of dad. And this isn't an opportunity to identify and chastise and beat them down, but an identify to not simply call them out, but to call them up to the type of father that God wants all men who are fathers to be. The chances are the fathers in the room, you saw yourself, like I said, in one of those. And maybe you've even reflected on your experience, those who have heard this, with your own father. In fact, chances are even in your own experience with your father, whether it be fatherlessness or there be some form of toxic masculinity or even a present but flawed father, there's been some level of brokenness that you've experienced. Because all dads, all men, all people, no matter how hard we try, will exist and perpetuate on some level a level of brokenness because we are imperfect. We all face a father wound on some level, but we do have an intentional father. Even the best of our earthly fathers fall woefully short of this perfect father. The one who is described as good A father who doesn't leave us on the ground and walks away, but one who walks towards us and picks us up. No matter the mistakes we make, no matter who we even see ourselves to be, the one who walks towards us and literally raises us up. The song, The Good, Good Father, that we are singing today, and it's a song that we sing to remind us Ultimately, that we're all adopted. We're all adopted into God's family. The song says things like, and you tell me that you're pleased. That I'm never alone. 
that I'm loved by you. That this good, good Father provides answers when there's lingering and longing questions. And that this Father is perfect in character and action. See, God's adoption of us into his family isn't and wasn't haphazard. He didn't accidentally walk by you and say, oh, there's a good-looking kid. I'm going to pick him up and take him with me. He sees us totally and completely, all the way down to the core, and says, mine. I want and I choose you, and I will raise you. There are rights and there are blessings with the responsibilities of our adoption. The rights of adoption. There's a right to a new identity. In the words of Galatians 3.27, going back a little bit before the passage that John read, it says, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ like a garment. There's a picture of immersion into the life of Christ. It's what water baptism symbolizes and signifies. This was huge in context as Paul is addressing Judaizers, people who are saying, no, you've got to jump through all these hoops to be a part of the family. Those who are saying that you needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul takes this picture of baptism, describes it which in certain ways replaced circumcision as the identifying marker of the Christian. Instead, baptism is the response to a commitment that has already been decided in the heart. It's a response to God's first movement towards you that says, you are my child, you are loved. And baptism allows us to receive that, to put on Christ and say, we are in the family. And another way to say it is we're signing and signifying the adoption papers. That God has moved on our behalf. He was intentional. And so that's one of the reasons why we at Generations Church talk about baptism. Being immersed into Christ. It's not just an optional thing to consider that maybe you'll get to it. We're saying please do it. Come into the family. If you are a follower of Christ, this is an extremely important step. To remember the step of response to the picture That Jesus moved towards you. That God loves you. He is a good, good dad and wants you and welcomes you into his family. So say yes and respond and be identified, be immersed into Christ. And that we are baptized into Christ. Paul says that we are clothed in Christ. Notice the imagery here. For Paul speaks of putting on Christ like a garment. In the Old Testament culture, when passed from childhood into manhood, when going from child to adult, and you received your full rights as an inheritor, or in this case, a male as a son, you would literally put on different clothes. You would go and change. And so many other cultures have different rituals and rites where you exchange what you wore as a child and be put on when you stepped into adulthood, when you stepped into the family to signify a change and a transition in baptism. A response to Jesus. Signifying and saying that we are in the family. We are a child of God. Identifying in that way is like literally putting on a different set of clothes. Our old self is removed and discarded. 
And through faith in Christ, we are made new. This is what happens when we are united to him. Not only are believers united to Christ, we are united in Christ. Which brings me to our second right. It's not just a right to a new identity, but it's a right to a new family. In verse 28, Paul starts listing some of the barriers that separated people in the first century. And some of these barriers even still separate people today. He starts with ethnic or racial barriers, Jews and Greeks. He moves to social barriers, such as slave or free. Finally, Paul talks about gender barriers of of male and female. And again, Paul is not saying that when you come to Christ, you lose these distinctions, that they automatically disappear, that you're no longer less Jew or Greek, that you're no longer maybe slave or free or, or male or female, that those distinctions don't disappear. Instead, he's saying that these barriers no longer divide us because we're all one in Christ Jesus. We have the opportunity to be family. Otherwise, things where people say, I should keep this person at arm's length, or they think differently, or behave differently, or they come from a different background or experience, or even a different biological family. But I no longer see them as an enemy or a part of a different family. I see them as a sibling, as loved in Christ. These barriers no longer divide us because we are all one in Jesus. And this is the beauty of the church summed up into one verse. A people united not by their ethnicity, not by their socioeconomic status or gender, not by this artificial distinction set up in a particular culture or society, but a people from all ethnicities, socioeconomic statuses and genders united together as one in Christ. And I love that even this year, that Father's Day falls on a day that's also come to known as Juneteenth. And I just bring this up to recognize that the church should be the primary place where we see people fully and rightly, color and all, but say they can be celebrated, loved, affirmed, moved towards, and rallied around and say, you are my brother and sister in Christ. You are a part of my family, not some lesser family or someone different. That is who we are as the church. We should be the representative in our world, the first to say all people are loved. They are my brother and sister in Christ, and I will stand up with them for them. We shouldn't wait for other people to lead out. We shouldn't be unwilling to stand up side by side in solidarity with our brothers and sisters first in Christ. That is what is important. We are one family because of Jesus. That is who we are. And there's a temptation when things go wrong or, or even, even worldly initiatives come out because they might be worldly. To, to, to shrink back and say, we can't affirm that. No, we should be able to affirm good movements of God when we step up and say, no, this is a biblical picture of what it means to be family. And we can affirm that, but we can also have to have the ability to criticize and critique when we see pictures of family that are not God-honoring and God-glorifying. And we must be able to do both. And the first and foremost most place in our world is to give people a right, accurate, understanding of family because all people have a right to family because of Jesus we also as an overflow of God's move towards us 
and this creation of new family through Jesus called the church. We also have a right to be loved. See, the Spirit transforms not only our identity, but also our intimacy with God. Paul says, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The context of what Paul has developed up to this point in this letter to this church At the end of chapter 3 and into the beginning of chapter 4, Paul has built a case that we were all once held captive by God's law. We saw something. We saw a standard. We saw the vision, the beautiful picture of what family could, the will and the way of God, the way it should be lived out. But we are unable to meet that standard. And that, that feels shameful. There's a level of guilt and fear that keeps us separated. But what God, what Paul writes in Galatians is that as God moves towards us, as we're baptized in him, he sends us the spirit to confirm that we are loved, that we are a part of the family, that we no longer stand apart from Christ when we place our faith in him. And while the commands of God made us feel condemned and even we stood unable to meet the standard, we couldn't keep them. We, We were polluted, poisoned. But in the same way, when we were children, we were slavery under the elemental forces of the world, is what Paul is describing in chapter 4, verse 3, that we were held captive by the law, but now everything has changed. Though we were previously imprisoned, contaminated, God gave us, as a result uh, of the law that God gave us in sin, that we are now freed, that we are now captivated. We are now controlled, we are now consumed by his love. The spirit in our hearts give us the opportunity to cry out to God. Move, change me. I don't even know what needs change. I don't even know what needs challenged. I just know that I need you. And the spirit moves in our hearts and wants to cry out. God, work in my life. And the Spirit's presence in our lives prove that we are never alone. That God is present with us. That we are loved. Whether it's an unintelligible speech or profound endearment, God hears and understands and moves. Which comes to the fourth right. It's a right to an inheritance. The argument keeps building. That you are no longer a slave. Paul says, but a son. And because you are a son, you've received an inheritance. What God has is ours. And we cannot help but respond and live in the same manner. See, with great privilege... With rights given to me and you comes great responsibility. See, it's the responsibility of God's kids to point back to our Father. Because there are people who have been left on the ground metaphorically and walked away from. That feel as if they don't have a family, that if they don't have a father, that they have no place to belong. And out of the overflow of God's love for us, We have a responsibility to be the presence of our Father within the world. 
to the responsibility of adoption as God's kids is to remind each other of that family identity. Because we forget. See, we are a people as the church who takes God's command seriously. We reconcile as quickly as possible. Are careful to obey God in our sexuality with glances and thoughts. Remain faithful to our spouses to keep our word and have no need to make oath. Love our enemies and pray for them. Seek to be rewarded by God instead of people. Forgive others because we have been forgiven so much by our Father. We are people who walk in love just like Christ because it's a sweet perfume to God. Are careful with our sexuality and money because it could easily corrupt us. Are careful with our words and jokes. Diligently find out what pleases God. Avoid and expose the works of darkness. We avoid and expose the works of evil in the world, standing up for those on the margins. We use our time carefully here on earth, making the most of every opportunity. We do not get drunk, but are filled with the Spirit. We sing to each other and make up songs that connect us to each other and God. We always give thanks to God for everything. Those are verses and passages that come out from Matthew 5 through 7 and some from Ephesians. Said another way, The church, the family code, is to remind us in our daily life to live out our father and family's values. We say it around Generations Church in this way, to live spirit over self, to give over get, to live story over sin. It's progress over perfection. It's send over stay. We can remind each other in our daily choices and actions. We can lovingly critique. We can lovingly encourage. Where are you putting spirit over self in that? How are you living story over sin? How are you embracing progress over perfection in your own life as you walk with Jesus? And we can love each other as a family, thus reflecting the character of the Father, Son, and Spirit. This is not general niceness to others. In our world and in our moment, our world needs people who aren't just simply committed to a cause or committed to being good. But it needs people who are committed to God. And as they are committed to God, because of Jesus, they belong to a local family. See, we can only influence our world. We can only become more like Jesus in our lives when we belong to a local family. Because if we're not part of a local community, if we're not part of a local church, if we're not part of a a family that we around here call generations, with a strong group identity of who we should be and what we should be about, then we're never going to know how to change our behavior. Your own willpower will be insufficient to prevent you from acting in non-like Jesus ways. Because when you respond in every given moment, it happens faster than conscious thought. In your reaction to distress, maybe you lash out in anger. The effective strategy to change this flaw in my character, maybe the lashing out in anger, is not to try harder next time it happens. Instead, you must focus on changing your instantaneous reactions when under distress. And you do that. By changing your reaction, your responses, by being around people who are learning to become more like Jesus, who have the spirit of God in them, who rub off on you, who influence in both intentional and unintentional ways that call you not out, 
but call you up to be more like Jesus. And we define character as our embedded automatic responses to our relational environment. Our instantaneous behavior flows naturally from our heart. And so when we are around people whose hearts are being transformed by the Spirit together because of Jesus, it will influence our hearts. Church, it starts, this transformation that we desire in the world starts first in us and overflows out of that. It's belonging to a local church family where we have the opportunity to be used by God to be present with others where the weakness of ourselves shows up in our family. Where there's no facade, where there's no fakeness, when you know when you're tired and you're exhausted, you don't got to muscle it up to pretend to be something that you're not, but you have a family that doesn't that sees you, that knows your weaknesses and still loves you and accepts you and says you belong here, but also that's not how we act in this family. That's not how we act. That's not how our older brother Jesus acts, who's our representative for life and faith. See, I need other men and women in the lives of my kids whom they can go to, who will reinforce the love and grace that God has for them. Because if my own sin prevents my son from calling me when one of my boys inevitably does something dumb and wrong, and he doesn't feel like he can go to his own dad, I want him to become to a male or a woman in the church to seek out counsel and help. Because they're going to do something stupid. And I need them to call you. I need you. I can't raise my kids on my own. I can't do this by myself, nor are we called to. And I don't want you to feel like you have to live this life on your own, figuring out how to be grandparents, figuring out how to be maybe a strange dad or or, or, or young couple who, who's even just trying to figure out, like, what does it look like to be married and married well? Or, or what does it look like to be fun uncle? We need each other to call each other to be true family, to remind each other that we are loved because of Jesus. I need people to live the truth in grace that I so desperately want to live, but no that I won't be able to in every moment. I need you, and I hope you need me too. So this is the call, if anything, for men and women in the church to step up and influence the lives of not just kids and children who need it, but to be present in the lives of family around each other, to smash hierarchies that that are power plays to stand up for those in the margins to lead lives where we stop abuse both physical and of power from happening to stand in the gap to extend courageous love and forgiveness when it's more tempting to be dismissive and lash out in anger to be courageous to hold to a standard and to convictions together with each other to be present tangibly in the lives.
And I think most importantly, the last responsibility that we have, not just to, to remind each other of our family identity, but to belong truly to a local family because we need each other. The last responsibility is to receive the love of God. Because here's the reality. You will fail. You'll make a mistake. You'll stink at being good family. You'll be a poor sibling in the faith. You'll be a poor earthly parent at times because of your limited scope. But before every parent was a parent and every adult was an adult, they were first a child. You will never do better or be better until you first receive the love of God that he has for you. The first step to receiving that love is coming home. Receive your adoption and baptism. He is pleased and you aren't alone. The good, good father is not passive. He moves towards you. And he moves towards us by the sending of his son and then the sending of the spirit. As John and the band come forward and we start to begin to move to a time of response. We know this. We know that we are loved. Because God sent his one and only son to be raised on a cross so that we may have a home. So that we may see the love that he has for us. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And as a son, then an heir through God. So come home. Respond. Live as if you are part of the family. Let me pray. And then John will lead us in how we're going to respond. God, you are good. You love us. Today, my prayer is that, first and foremost, that we receive your love. That we recognize that you love us. That you sent Jesus to us, proving your love. Speak to us as we sing, as we respond, as we live. May we stop trying to project perfection. May we stop seeking selfishness. May we stop beating ourselves up for the how good a parent we are or not good a parent or how good a person we are or how not. And just simply receive your love and then respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Four Generations to Come a podcast by Generations Church. If you want to know what's happening around the church, please visit mygenerations.church. There you'll see opportunities to connect through activity groups and events, as well as gatherings you can attend. We also want to hear your story, how God is working in your life. So jump on over there to our website and share your story. Share how God is at work in your life life. And if you're going through a difficult time where you even have some praises, we would love to be able to pray with you and for you. There'll be a button there to do that as well. Have an incredible week.